Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Well, it's good to be here with all of you this morning. My name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here. And glad that you've chosen to be here on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday morning. And for all of those who are watching on Facebook Live, I want to welcome you as well. Say thank you for being here. I've been looking forward to this day because today we get to wrap up a series that we've been walking through over the past several weeks. And through the entire month of November, we've been focused in on one verse, one singular verse in the Old Testament. And we've talked about things like acting justly in the world around us, doing justice in some practical ways in which we can do that. And then also some ways that Valley Point has made it easy for us, easy on ramps to do justice in the world around us. One of those areas you'll hear a little bit more uh, about at the end of today's gathering as we kind of introduce our Christmas offering initiative. And then we've talked about loving mercy, extending mercy to those around us, putting God's mercy on display. And today is going to be a little bit different in that in the weeks prior to this, we've talked a lot about our outward actions. And what we'll discuss today does influence all of those things. However, we're going to focus more on the internal self. And I think that today's topic, as we conclude the, the closing sections of this verse, are a little less intuitive. By that, I just mean... Up to this point through this series, we've talked about doing justice, helping those in need, helping those who can't help themselves. That just makes sense. There's not a whole lot of people who would disagree with that. And we've talked about loving mercy, putting mercy on display for others and caring and extending kindness and love. And it doesn't take reading the Bible. It doesn't take putting your faith in Jesus alone to save you to figure out that this is just kind of a better way to live right? I think most people, I don't know if there's any group that's out there saying, we need to take a stand against doing good for people. There's none that I know of, at least. So there's really not too much to debate. But today, we're going to talk about what God wants for us on more of a philosophical level. Sound fun, right? (laughs) Eat a bunch of turkey, come to church, and talk philosophy. Welcome to Valley Point. Well, I think there's going to be a lot for each of us here today, some interesting content. So if you're here and you would say that you are not a Christ follower, you're not a Christian, then I think today is going to be a very good day for you to be here because you're going to get a little bit of a peek under the hood of what maybe some of your Christian family members or friends or coworkers are thinking when all you're thinking is, that's kind of weird. Where do you come up with all of this? So you're going to get an idea of what's at the core of Christianity. And then for us who are Christ followers, we're Christians, then I think there's going to be some good information for us to either, either, either serve as a reminder of some things, but I really believe there's going to be some fresh content for us to help deepen our relationship with Christ. Because what we find that ultimately... This verse kind of describes a, a worldview 
that's only found within Scripture, a Christian worldview. And so let's dive into this. Let's see where we're going today. As we conclude, this single verse found in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And just as a reminder, if, if anyone here hasn't been a part of this series, Micah is an ancient prophet that God commissioned to give his message, his words, to Judah. Now, Judah was the southern part of the divided kingdom of Israel. And so here we have Micah writing these words from God at a time where, where social injustice was everywhere. We're told that sin had infiltrated every segment of society. Government was corrupt. Politics was corrupt. There were judges who were getting bought off and bribed uh, at this time. We're, we're told that business persons were dishonest in the marketplace with their tradings and their dealings. And even the priests and spiritual leaders at this time were, were leading from a posture of greed and power. And so where we pick up is Micah kind of laying the smack down, if you will, on the people of Judah, and we find them in this intense state of social injustice occurring. And here is where we pick up in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Reads, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, of those who say you are followers of God? then you need to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So today we get to focus in on this final phrase, walk humbly. And you guessed it, today's big idea is just that. It's to walk humbly. And Micah doesn't just say, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what God's displeased with. Fix it. The Bible is very good at giving clear instructions. And so he says, here are the specific things you're doing that is displeasing. And here are some specific ways in which you need to respond. Act justly, love mercy, and a walk humbly. Now, I'm going to have some thinking points for us today to kind of guide our conversation. I wanted to start off very practical and very honest in the room with all of us here today. Let's just put it all out there. Thinking point number one is humility is not an easy thing because when it boils down to it, most of the time we look out for our own interests. We just do. That's human nature. We don't have to be taught this. As children, we learn very early that I have to look out for number one and I have to get mine because I deserve some things and I'm owed some things, and you shouldn't have more than I do, but it's okay if I have more than you. That's perfectly fine if I don't want to share, right? And so this is our human nature, and our nature is opposed to this idea of humility. So this word humbly here, this Hebrew word means to act in a manner respectful and careful of another's direction, Showing the quality of humility or implying wise behavior. So we tend to look out for our own interests. I tend to think that I'm a little bit more important than those around me. And I would never say that. We would never say these things. But 
The little things we do kind of imply these things. So what does it mean to act with humility? So what, what does that mean? Well, if we stick within the, the, the context of these verses and this, this book in the Old Testament that we've been studying through, Micah kind of goes on the negative approach and begins to describe some ways in which people were acting in opposition to humility. So some of the things that he was saying was, was going on, that people were telling lies, they were being dishonest, in particular in the marketplaces. So those who were selling goods and products were using false weights on their scales so that people were owing more than what they should have been owing. And this was kind of just a common practice between the merchants and not a very big deal. Everyone did it. And they sort of minimized this. And God comes in and says, well, no, this is a big deal because it's dishonest. And you're ripping people off and it needs to stop. And we do the same thing. We, we minimize dishonesty in our lives all of the time. We justify the things that we do. Because after all, at some point, I've been ripped off, I'm sure. Somebody's got me somewhere. And so I'm, I'm owed a little bit. So if I need to grab it here or grab it there, the government, I'm sure, owes me something with all of this that I give to them. So let me just grab that where I can so that things kind of even out a little bit. And God says, no, that's not how a life of Christian living should be. It's dishonest. And let's just call dishonesty what it is. It's sin. And we need to remove it from our lives and from our society. The Bible describes people gossiping. And in several places in Scripture, God says, this is a bad idea. You should not talk about things you have no business talking about, whether it's true or not. If you're not immediately involved in the problem or the solution, remove yourself. There's no reason to be talking about it. And this is one of the things that he points out. There was a complete lack of honor in this society. It describes how sons were dishonoring their fathers, how daughters were dishonoring their mothers, how spouses were dishonoring one another. And they were being even disloyal to one another within their marriages. God says this is a big deal. It needs to be removed. In other places, it speaks of a lack of compassion for others as being in direct opposition to humility. Basically, what it boils down to is that the opposite of humility is pride. It's pride. Anytime I put the value of myself higher than the value of somebody around me. That's pride. And again, this isn't something we would say out loud. There's things within our lives, ways that we act in which describe this happening, even on small scales, minor scales, what might seem to be petty. For instance, think of yourself in holiday traffic. And there's somebody who you sense is trying to get in front of you. And you know this is happening. Or there's a spot And you see somebody else trying to get to that spot. And you take that and you speed up just a little bit so that they can't come out into traffic. Seems silly. But basically, we're just saying, my time is more important than your time. Where I'm going 
is a little bit more important than when, where you're going, and I'm going to prevent you from getting to where you need to go. Regardless of the situation, we don't know what's happening in the other person's life. Maybe theirs is more important. We have no idea, and we act in these little ways that let pride nudge its way into our hearts. We begin to think we're owed a little bit more than somebody else because of what we do or where we've been educated or where we live, or what we drive. And it makes us just a little bit more important than somebody else. Again, we'd never say that. But when we get to the heart of our hearts, let's just be honest, these thoughts invade our lives. It's human nature. It's the enemy working against us. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that you really inconvenienced yourself really brought discomfort into your life so that somebody else could have a little more comfort. Sacrifice something. And I'm not talking about your spouse or someone who you love dearly or your children. We all make sacrifices there. I mean, for someone who you might not even know in small ways, when's the the last time you spoke an opinion with the other person's opinion respectfully in mind Or maybe you even refrain from an opinion because we don't always have to say our opinions, right? Just to create a little more comfort for somebody else. Or when's the last time you made a business decision with somebody else's career in mind, their path, what they're trying to accomplish to say, I'm going to do something to help them get to where they're going. Do we even know where the people around you are trying to get to? Or are you so focused on where you're getting professionally that you just spearhead and sideline everybody else? You take care of you, I'll take care of me, and it'll all work out. Not an easy thing. But what happens is that when we begin to not function with humility and an entire society functions with out humility, then we find things that happened in Judah in this piece of scripture and the same things happening today. See if any of this sounds familiar. Selfishness, arrogance, how about angry dialogue, violence, dishonesty? All of these things stem ultimately from a lack of humility in our lives pride. So it's not an easy thing. Just get it out there. Thinking point number two is this. Humility guides the motives of our behaviors. Humility or the lack thereof guides the motives of our behavior. And so here is where I would say that a Christian worldview would part ways with a secular worldview. And here's kind of what I mean by that. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I do the good things that I do? Because there's a lot of people in a lot of places doing good. And it has nothing to do with reading scripture. It has nothing to do with, with putting their belief or faith in Jesus. People do good things all of the time. So what's at the core? It makes others feel good. It helps others. That's great. It makes me feel good about myself. And that's great. I think that's a wonderful byproduct of helping others. And I think that's God-given. That when I help others, I feel good about that. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But when there is a lack of humility underneath all of this, then all good is ultimately hollow and self-serving. And it might present its, its language in, in today's society as something like this. You know, I want to put out as many good vibes into the universe as I possibly can. I want to put out good vibes to all of those around me. And those vibes then will be returned to me. Good vibes will return to me. You may have grown up calling this something a little bit different, but very similarly is karma. You know, if I do good, good's going to happen to me. If someone does bad, then bad things are going to happen to them. But the problem for this, for Christians, is that it just doesn't agree with Scripture. In fact, Christ tells us the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. Even if you put your faith in me, you will still have troubles. And in fact, people are going to hate you, not because you're doing anything wrong, but because you associate with me. And so Christ never promised that good would be returned for good here on earth. And we all know why he couldn't do that. Because it just doesn't work like that. And we know that. And we learned this pretty early on. Maybe in the world that God originally created, that was true. But sin has broken his perfect creation. And the world no longer functions in the way that it should. So good is no longer returned with good all of the time, and bad isn't necessarily returned from bad. We ask the question all of the time, why do bad things happen to good people? And when we have a, a, a belief structure, a philosophy that good should be returned with good all of the time and bad should be returned with bad all of the time, and that's how God should function, then our worldview gets shattered pretty quickly. And what tends to happen is that people give up doing good because I give, I give, I give, and what do I get in return? Nothing. So what's the point in all of this? Let's just eat, drink, and be merry because ultimately tomorrow we all die, right? And society that gives up on this idea of humility and putting others first results in sin infiltrating every segment of society. And we end up with a society that nobody wants to be a part of. In fact, Micah describes at their time, Judah as being a place you can't trust anybody. Watch your back all of the time because everybody's going out for number one. They're looking out for their own agendas with no regard to anything else that's happening. But I believe that the very next verse that, that Micah includes is a trigger, a cue for us to understand the implications of this statement of walking humbly, and it brings clarity into this whole conversation. So Micah, chapter 6, verse 9, the very next verse says, Fear the Lord if you are wise. So what does wisdom now offer to this conversation of humility. The Bible repeatedly connects these two words, humility and wisdom, wisdom and humility. We find it in the Old Testament and we find it in the New Testament. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse two, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. 
James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. The Bible is shockingly consistent and cohesive on this idea that there is a connection, some kind of circular relationship between humility and wisdom. And Pastor Eric always uses an easel, so I figured I couldn't have a good sermon unless I included a good easel illustration. But I think this is really going to help us visualize and understand this relationship that all of this has in our lives. So on the one hand, we have humility. And humility has some kind of relationship with wisdom we find in Scripture. And wisdom, in returns, has some kind of relationship with humility. And somehow, humility feeds into wisdom. Wisdom feeds into humility. So our thinking point number three is this. Humility comes from wisdom. Humility comes from wisdom. God isn't looking for just good behavior from us. He's not looking for kind behavior from us. He wants those things to flow from our lives, but ultimately, he's looking for wise behavior. And there is a difference. And I believe that Micah is saying that this is the key ingredient to what's missing because doing good, doing justice, loving mercy, it isn't enough without humility that comes from wisdom. So there has to be some kind of force, though, that brings all of this into existence. So if we kind of think of humility and wisdom as like the solar system of our life, something has to initiate all of this and then sustain it. And we think about humility and wisdom, the word wisdom, you might think of in similar terms as I would, is that perhaps it has to do with someone's age, uh, their, their experience, either professionally or just life in general. Education plays a factor. This sort of an accumulation of great knowledge over time. And I think all of that does play into wisdom, gaining wisdom in our lives. But the Bible kind of gives us a different idea as to the foundation of wisdom. We find this primarily in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs lays out its purpose statement plainly at the beginning of its, of its book. Proverbs chapter 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live discipline and successful lives. Anybody want a successful life? I think that sounds pretty good. And it's within this same book that is revealed where wisdom comes from. Again, this is where a Christian and a secular worldview would part ways. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The foundation to wisdom is the fear of the Lord. 
This word fear here isn't talking about being afraid or being frightened by God. It's talking about having an admiration, a respect, a loyalty, a childlike reverence, or ultimately, total submission. So as we find as the centerpiece to all of this is a complete and total submission to God. Not an easy thing. In fact, the writer in Scripture who describes all of this for us would ultimately not be able to follow his own advice. Sin would infiltrate his life and he would ultimately settle for God's less than best for him. And we tend to do the same thing. We'll pursue God for a season, but then other things that we want more, desire more, we'll take over and we'll forget about this. Or perhaps we pursue God and then something bad happens to us. It kind of shakes us to our core. And we remove this from our lives and things get really shaky. Because as these are producing one another in themselves, so wisdom leads to humility. Wisdom, wise decision-making, wise behavior leads us to humble activity, keeping pride out of the way. And as that occurs, more wisdom, more wise decisions, more success with our relationships, more success spiritually. And this thing is in constant movement as Proverbs describes. So a total submission of God would then be the gravitational force that keeps everything in alignment in our lives. And more specifically for us today, putting our faith in Jesus alone to save us and letting Christ enter into our lives and be the leader of our lives and letting his spirit who indwells in us teach us these things as we read God's word and as we pray and ask for these things and as we seek godly counsel from those who have walked the Christian life before us and wisdom occurs Humility occurs, success in life occurs, and guess what? When bad things happen, it's not a bad God. God didn't mess up. A total submission to him is saying, your will be done in my life, whether I understand it or not, whether I agree with it or not, whether I like it or not. We sang about it earlier today. We love singing about it. God, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. But then when something occurs, God, you just let me down. Our lives don't always reflect what needs to occur because it might not happen right away where we remove God from the center and things just shoot off into outer space all over the place. It might not work like that. It might be a small compromise where we would have had a proper process for making a decision but instead we choose to do our own thing. And instead of making a wise decision, we might make a stupid one. And then, of course, we can't let people know that we made a bad decision, so we have to cover it up. We have to lie about it. We have to blame somebody else. We have to justify it somehow, so we compromise 
and pride invades our life, and then we have to make worse decisions to compensate, and everything gets out of whack until we put God back into the center of the orbit of our lives, and things can pull themselves back to where they need to be. But it cannot occur without humility that comes from true wisdom, which is a complete and total submission to our creator. Which we said at the beginning, we're going to be honest, and this isn't easy. It's not because life happens, life occurs. But Micah tells us this is necessary, and he closes this verse with a statement. Walk humbly with your God. Doing good is great. Showing mercy, wonderful. But without humility that comes from wisdom out of a submissive heart, it's ultimately hollow. And it's ultimately self-serving. And as Micah says, and many other writers in Scripture concur, that God specifically desires humility as part of our Christian living. And when we lack it, we're lacking something that God wants for us. Humility that comes from wisdom, which comes from total submission to our Creator. Now, we've walked through this verse over the past several weeks. We've tried to interpret it. We've tried to apply it into our lives, into our everyday living. Here's what it looks like. So how would we summarize this entire series into one statement? I think it would be this. God wants to see his people act with justice, tempered with mercy, as a result of a humble and obedient relationship with him. That's our Christian worldview. And at the end of this series, we've got a few takeaways that are based on what we've walked through all series long. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for a season, a week of thinking more profoundly about what we are thankful for in our lives, the things we have to be thankful for. And we thank you for our blessings. And we want to remember where all of it comes from, our successes, our opportunities, ultimately come from you. And so we humbly lay down our lives and say, your will be done in us. And help us to not only just say that, but live it so that others around us see it. We thank you for the truth that's found in Scripture, and we ask for your continued blessings on our faith community as we now enter into a holiday, a Christmas season. Help us to look to you and anticipate what was anticipated hundreds of years ago of your son Jesus coming and dying for us, taking our place so that we can trust in him to save us. We pray all of this in his wonderful name, Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.